summoned through the dimension of sound. People explore the musical world which they believe to be true. But there is a world unheard by some that is filled with stories of an unknown reality, a jazz side. Episode 13 of Tales from the Jazz Side is with keyboardist, pianist, percussionist, composer, arranger, teacher, Charles Blintick. Now this is another very special show for me because I finally have a chance to present to you a superb composer, an imaginative arranger, an impressive keyboardist and piano player, a terrific human being, and a cherished friend. Now, I've said this before on past shows, and I'm going to say it again. I've always been an advocate that you never know who you're going to meet and where, and that the person who is standing right next to you could be a person that is instrumental in assisting you in changing the direction of your life. And such was the case with my guest today. And something even more fantastic is he still is a catalyst for growth in my life. Loyal and sincere, he has a -a one-of-a-kind personality and across-the-board talent and work ethic. He is one of the most adaptable people I've ever met. And over the years, I've seen him meet challenges head-on, with focus, determination, and a sense of humor, and all the while still remaining the core of Charles, still remaining Charles. And those of you who know him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is only one Charles Blinzik. For me, he has been the perfect road mentor, although I, I have to say that You can't put the two of us together in an airport trying to find our departure gate because we'll never get there. Uh, But still, I learned so much with him uh, about being on the road. Having access to his extensive musical knowledge and getting to experience firsthand his brilliant work as Michael Frank's music director for 25 years has given me a perspective on music that I never considered and also opened doors around contemporary jazz, helping me understand how it emerged together the various styles. There's so many things that I've learned from Charles uh, and you know, just to say it sounds very hollow compared to the reality. And I'm I'm really very grateful to know him and have met him. Working with him, all that I've gained, I will use for the rest of my life. And I've learned lessons around being a better band leader and preparing as a musician and as a band leader for musicians. Uh, subtle details of arranging songs and how to handle being on the road, both physically and mentally, and being able to just be there and keep up and do my job. His affable and adaptive nature, his jovial disposition, that kind of disposition that keeps the band's spirits lifted when we have a ridiculous schedule of travel and performance. And although it can get really, really crazy on the road, he's taught me how to understand when to not sweat the small stuff. And that's a real important thing to understand when you're out there touring. 
He's just an incredible human being. And the love and respect that I have for this gentleman is matched only by his unique and beautiful spirit, his incredible sense of humor, which throughout the show, you'll hear how <laughs> we, we seem to get the giggles. I can't stop laughing when I'm around him. And of course, his outstanding talent. There is only one Charles Blendick, and I am honored to have him on the show today. My guest today on Tales from the Jazz Side is with keyboard, pianist, composer, arranger, teacher, Charles Blenzik. Hi, Charles. Hi, Veronica. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here today. Finally, I'm able to pin you down. I got you here. Yes, it did take a while, and uh, I apologize for that. No, no. You're always so busy. I mean, That's true. You know, I really am. Now, um, I mentioned in the opening remarks uh, about how we met, because I do a thing in front of the show so that everybody knows what's going on yeah. uh, and how we met and how instrumental you were in getting me the Michael Franks gig that is true um, and I'm finding actually that a lot of the musicians that I've had on the show actually started out playing other instruments yep. um, now mm-hmm. how did you get the Michael Franks gig you know that is a, a, a great question and if there was one point in my career that it made a real turn uh, was playing with Michael. I mean, I had done some really great gigs. I was playing with Gil Evans Orchestra. <clears throat> we had a steady gig uh, every Monday night at uh, a club called Sweet Basil, which is no longer uh, in New York. You remember that from yeah. <laughs> Sweet Basil. And uh, there was three keyboard. Gil had passed away and... Uh, there was always three keyboards uh, with that band because Gil was very much into the electric sound and he had, you know, done the greatest arrangements kind of in the in the history of jazz and was hearing electric uh, instruments in his in his ensemble. So I ended up. Well, it's kind of a cute story too. I, I a CD I was doing got to Miles Evans. Okay. who was running the band, who was Gil Evans' son, named after Miles Davis. And I came in and sat in one day, and he said, anytime you want, come and sit in. Wow. So I came every week <laughs> for, like, ever. <laughs> I mean, I, it was just so amazing, such an opportunity. And eventually, literally years it took, you know, that this would happen maybe a year and a half or whatever, I found myself being the only keyboard player because Gil Goldstein was on the road and Delmar Brown, they were the other two keyboard players. And I can't say enough about Gil Goldstein. He's not only a, a master keyboardist, but he's a master arranger. Yeah, yeah, and he true. studied with Gil. And mm-hmm. uh, So we were the three keyboard players in the band. I was so honored to be there and play third keyboard some nights I would just play a sound or so you Mm -hmm. know because I was playing my role as the third keyboard player so I got to be good friends with Gil Goldstein he was the main keyboard player and he was on the road with Michael and he had done some producing for Michael and he was going to go on the road so he couldn't do the gig okay so he said I gave Michael your name you know I was like okay cool whatever and he was like send him a CD and, you know, he would like to hear you. Okay. So I didn't even have to audition. He heard the CD and he hired me. Wow. And that was wow. 
And I guess that's the benefits to any young musicians out there to, to getting your first product out. Yeah, the body. Of Many of us have to pay for some of it and mm -hmm. then maybe get the, the company, the record label will take it on. But if you don't have a product to let someone hear, they're never going to know, you know, what your sound, what your sound is. That's true. And they're not going to like, you know, get out, come out of their house. <laughs> go down the club. Oh, you, no, those, exact, you know, exactly. Especially if it's a, if it's a And Michael was, of... I think, at that time living in Florida. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, I just sent him, like I said, the, my first CD. And really that was kind of the gateway to everything else because that started me with Gil and everything broke. Wow, and that's been like, what, 25 years now you're doing this wow. with Michael, right? This is... <laughs> <laughs> well, 39 you, you, it's been 57 years since I started <laughs> when, when I started I was in high school no you know because I got you on the gig in 93 I've been with him since 90 so uh -huh. yes next year is my 25th year as musical director for Michael and I've loved every well you're great everything. at it you're at, you know I you've made it, it so it made it so easy for us to play. The arrangements are great. Um, well, we're so happy to have you because if I could just say this, uh, back when I was, when Michael said I really want a back, uh, you know, a backup singer, he said I wanted to get a few sounds. So I got a really good R&B singer. I got a kind of a rock singer, and I got you, you know, hmm. jazz singer. And I said, you know, I'm just going to give him all of them. I mean, everyone's highly recommended. Mm -hmm. They're the people I think are best. But there's three different styles. Right. And he fell in love with you. And he said, I want, wow. uh, I want <laughs> Veronica. I want the jazz sound. Wow. That's, that's great. And oh, that, I'm, I'm grateful because, um, you know, I'm going to do a show where I'm just going to just talk about how, uh, how much I've learned in doing the Michael Franks gig. But we've also done uh, quite a – we've done an actual great project together. <sighs> And I'm going to so get back you. into that. Uh, but before yeah. I do that, uh -huh. um, I'm finding that a lot of musicians that I've had on the show actually started out playing other instruments. Yeah. Uh, like in your case, it was the drums, right? Yeah. And um, Well, actually, what? it was a little bit like my very first instrument was piano, but it was like typical kind of American, like, you know, you're, you should study piano. Okay. You know, um, now, it's very common to have uh, upright pianos, spinning pianos, or whatever. But I, I, I actually really didn't like it at all because I had a teacher that was. Well, this should go later. She was scary. <laughs> She's still alive. <laughs> Hell no! I guess we'll have to edit that. But I mean, we now, see, this is, the, this, is, this is the way. This is improv. This, this is, is the way things come this. out. And of course, I didn't plan it, and you know that. This teacher, she was like ninety. <laughs> and she had a shake in her hand, whatever it was like. And all her writing was like script with waves in it. I was horrified. I just was like, I would sometimes, I would like if we would be in a ride or doing something with my father, I wouldn't tell him that it was supposed to be in a lesson. I would just let it go. <laughs> and I remember her name just came to me. It's so perfect. Miss Kerr. <laughs> Kerr. She was a Kerr. Now, uh, 
How old were you? How old were you? Oh, I was, yeah, I was young. I'm probably six or seven. Okay, so when you started <laughs> scripting, did you script the same way? <laughs> That's very good. No, I was so, it was like the devil's handwriting. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to stay away from <laughs> Miss Kerr. Miss Kerr. Well, but bless her heart. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she long, she's long gone. <laughs> um, All right. Well, you know. Uh, you've had a very impressive career, and you've worked and recorded with uh, Gado Barbieri, yeah. Larry Carell, mm -hmm. Michael Brecker, Randy Brecker, yeah. Joe Locke, Eddie Gomez, uh, Tonino, Toninio yeah. Porta, yeah. Uh, Hiram Bullock, mm -hmm. uh, great, great. Um, and uh, you were, had mentioned earlier that you were a member of the Gil Goldstein Orchestra. Gil Evans, Gil Evans. Gil, Gil Evans. Gil Evans. Okay, Gil Evans Orchestra. Oh, wow, that's right. Now, um, Besides having played on over a hundred CDs, mm -hmm. uh, mine included, which yes. is the art of Michael Franks, um, you did some, so much fun. You did some so beautiful fun. arrangements uh, of the songs on that, and also we did one of your tunes on That's that. That's right. Uh, that was co-written by Michael. The lyrics were written by Michael, and you wrote uh, the the melody, yeah. Rendezvous in Rio. Uh, where where did that? How did that come out? I, I think, did you say you had several evolutions of that song yeah, before? Yeah, the first, on my second record uh, called Say What You Mean, I wrote this song, and it was kind of, uh, I was definitely thinking Brazilian, I mean, absolutely, but its original name was Seyaho. Seyaho. Which, which was some really... <laughs> Other stuff, Will Lee, the great bass player, has been on Letterman for, I don't know, his whole lifetime, no, 30, 40 years, however long Letterman's been in there. He did actually made up words. We made up words. For that song? Yes. So what, is it, what is it again? Seyaho. Seyaho. And that's a made up word. And, and, and probably in some language somewhere in the world. It means, you know it what? It says something. <laughs> like something you. Like yeah, I I went to I went to India and, and I played that and like they they put me in jail because it meant killer of kings, killer of cows. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's like the worst. You can that's why there's no McDonald's in India. No, but you didn't go to India. They didn't. No. They didn't put. No, they didn't. No. Over that. Uh, wow, that's interesting. And that's on uh, "Say What You Mean." That yes. Was the first CD. Of Second, Second, and man, CD. that was I got to say that was at the time was so exciting. It was around ninety three or four, and I was so honored to have just an all star uh, lineup. It was. Uh, Dennis Chambers on drums, wow. Michael Brecker on saxophone, Willie Bass in production, Manolo, who, who you yeah, know very oh, yeah. well, on percussion, and uh, Mike Stern on uh, guitar. Wow. Yeah, it was really wow. so much fun to make. Now, did you get a chance to, did you select the lineup for what you wanted? or did, was I it? and, uh, I might as well mention Neil, I sh will mention Neil Weiss, who... Mm -hmm started a label called Big World Music from uh, live recordings of Jaco Pastorius. Okay. 
and he was one of the entourage of the Gil Evans thing too, heard me with the band and said, I want to do, wow. I want you to do a record. Wow. Yeah, those were in the days when people actually, yeah, had the money they and did. they had the vision. And they actually <laughs> saw you playing and right. said, you know, I want to right. do something for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. Not at all. Not at all. Now you wear many, many hats besides playing. You also teach, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, and you also have a, a strong classical background as well, mm -hmm. if I'm, yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, you played this gig in, I believe, we, we, we were on this gig with Michael, I think it was in Tennessee, uh -huh. and we played with the symphony orchestra. Oh, yes, Nashville. Yeah, yeah, and your arrangements were just extraordinary. I mean, absolutely unbelievable. There was the symphony... Um, well, you talk, tell us a little bit about well, how you... Well, it's funny. When we're talking about, like, you know, save the scary stuff for later, <laughs> these things come out. And I did not think of this, but boy, was I afraid and scared. This was a major symphony wow. orchestra wow. Yeah. that yeah. I was writing for, and I had never done that. Oh, okay. It was my first time, so... You know, at moments when I was writing it, and then the reality hit me right. in a few months, like, there'd be a conductor. I would, like, break into a cold sweat right. in the basement. And Allison would come down, and I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> you know? And I remember there was one time, and here's Gold, Gil Goldstein again, where I literally was in a cold sweat in the basement when I realized I don't know anything about Boeing. Of course, oh, Boeing yeah. is yeah. the whole string section yeah. has to do it in unison and the concert master, whatever. So I broke in. I was like freaking out. And I called Gil. I was like, Gil, what do you know about Boeing? You've done so many things. He goes, nothing. <laughs> so I was like, okay, great, great. No, you send it to the concert master. Right. And okay. the concert master puts in the Boeing for the whole string section. Well, what do you mean when you say he puts in the Boeing for So in other words, just... the notes don't change, mm -hmm. but how the phrases are bowed, and that's not in the original score. Okay. So okay. he puts different Boeing marks okay. for staccato or legato and how long the phrase should be. Then that is put into the part, and then we got our master oh, parts. Interesting. Which was, you know, in the, in the full manuscript, you know, the real manuscript of orchestras and uh, the conductor score and yeah wow. it was it was pretty was very intimidating but you were on the gig and I thought it was pretty good it was amazing it was absolutely amazing and thankfully Miss Kerr wasn't the one that's doing this thing. but you <laughs> know when, when you think of um, you've learned from I know I do I learn I pay attention <laughs> well um. <laughs> yeah we've been together longer than Michael so exactly so, so since you know, about 90 so about 25 years absolutely so uh, you know and when you when you talk about orchestration and yeah. I think of the the lack of venues that are around for uh, jazz artists to actually put together pieces. You can conceptually, you know, write something, but when you actually have venues that are there where the money's there to be able to do these yes. and you have all the orchestra and the strings and, the, you know, the, the whole thing. And I just remembered that how amazing it was to hear... I'm all of that behind, you know. I'm so with you, and if for the audience, uh, we were engulfed. Many jazz groups, when they, when they work with an orchestra, although they're in front, the strings kind of come up 
yeah. in, a, in, a, in a circle near you, the conductor's right in, in, in front, and you're right, just the sound. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And, of course, it was your arrangements that yeah. actually made that. Uh, I think being with Michael for as long as you have, you really do understand the soul, the true organic soul of his music. I so you, get, you bring a real truth to it. Um, well, as we both know, he's he's just a, a, a phenomenal singer-songwriter. Yeah. Which, if he just did one, it would be incredible. But people all over, you know, are just uh, taken by his lyrics, which yes. are yes. just if they were take if they were by themselves, it's just pure poetry. Yes. But along with his songwriting skills and singing. And the amazing thing is, we both know this. He was not uh, musically trained. Right. That's he right. just, you know, listened. And one of his guys he loved was Ahmad Jamal, which mm -hmm. we know about. And uh, boy, it's it was. Uh, yes, I think I do understand his music. And yeah, I, I mean, it's great. And you've actually uh, are on quite a few of his uh, CDs, yeah. and you've done some arrangements. I uh, was lucky that Christmas one, right? Two, well, I I produced the full Christmas record. Which you were on, and uh, Michael said to me once, I was so you know honored that he said he said that's my favorite CD I've ever done oh, as yeah. a, as a conceptual yeah, entire. It's beautiful. There might it's have been beautiful. you know tracks from whatever, but he mm -hmm. says as one CD as one whole, it's 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 the favorite record. So I was like so honored because mm -hmm. you know he's I don't know thirty records or yeah, something uh, way yeah, up there yeah. twenty. Mm -hmm. From all his years on Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. and, it, it, and it has it has a, a different uh, quality to it, a different stamp yeah. uh, than than the. I, and I love Michael's, you know, recordings. I love people who have produced his records and everything, but it definitely has. I I feel a real, true raw jazz. It has that real jazz thing of yes. traditional straight ahead bebop kind of. Well, we had thing. you on it. We had Billy Kilson. We had Alex Sipiagin. Jay played bass, I Yes, believe. yeah. So it was all really, you know, kind of jazz guys. We had a fantastic um, guitarist from Brazil, oh, Romero, yes. Luba Romero Lubamba, I yeah. think. It's just amazing. Now, did uh, uh, Cafe, was Cafe on that? Or was he on the, the, the time together? I forget. I, Maybe I was just he played a little. The, the Guica. The Let's not. All right, I'm going to leave that one for cafe. Let's let that. Let's let that, let's let that go. Okay, so now, um, in addition to everything that I love about you, Charles, um, and I love you too. And this <laughs> one thing I, I am is uh, when people are good to me, and and uh, as you know, I mean, uh, friends are very important to me, mm -hmm. and you've been a, a great friend over the years. <laughs> Even though at times when I was uh, maybe a little too energetic, you oh, threw yeah. me well, out of your hotel. Oh, right. keep throw, it real. <laughs> throwing out at me out of your hotel room because I wouldn't shut up. Right, well, right it's five get... in the morning. Can you leave now? Well, after gigs, you get so wired up, it's you know. True. And in the when we were younger, we used to go to jam sessions. Yeah, no you more. Know, now it's like eight o'clock. We're ready to go to bed. Right um, after the gig, straight back. No meeting anyone. Back to the room. Turn on the TV. And watch right. the dumbest stuff ever. <laughs> the lobby calls usually like a couple hours later. So what? Um, but, you know, 
well, as I said before, of all the things, I love everything about you, but one of the things I love so much is your accent. I mean, it is pure <laughs> New York. It is. And, um, as anyone know, I don't know I have it until I go somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, like last month uh, or a month before last, I had a, a blues harmonica player named David Barnes, and he was born and raised in New York, too. Um, so you two are like true, true New Yorkers. Now, do you feel uh, it has given you more of an advantage uh, as a player, as a musician, because there were so many uh, jazz clubs here, uh, more than, say, anywhere else in the world? Um, yes, absolutely. When I was, and, and it's funny how eras pass because it's gone, which was, you know, coming up in, in the 80s, and I think I joined Gill's band in like the late 80s or maybe 80, I don't know, 86 or something like that. You could go from club to club. That's true. And there were great groups and in all of them, masters. And uh, there used to be two clubs on University near Washington Square called Bradley's and I think Knickerbocker was still there. Yeah. But they both featured duos, just drum and piano. Mm-hmm. And they had alternating sets. So literally, I'd go, and I wasn't the only one. I mean, a lot of people would go from Bradley's, and this was in the days where literally I would, I would milk a beer. Right. For, for, for the entire set. And I would sit at the corner of the bar, mm-hmm. which was literally five feet away from the piano. Right. Or whatever. It was right at just enough room for the waitress to go by. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it made a, a huge advantage because it gave me the edge of really hearing anyone that I could either afford or right. <laughs> or we would do this, too. And I just don't think this could be done anymore. The Village Vanguard has steps that go to the basement. Right, right. And me and, and my two friends that would love to go to, we would just, after the waitress was gone, we'd go down and just sit on the steps wow. and listen. Then she'd come kick us out. Right. We'd wait another 15 <laughs> minutes, go back down. And then sit on the steps. But you could you could, you could do yeah. that. You and, certainly could. You know, you know, it wasn't that, that weird. Right. Well, you know, you ran uh, the Blue Note jam session for what 15 years uh not quite but quite some time i might have i might have <laughs> had the record had they not because some heavy guys did that ted Curson and the names go on and on because they had a jam session from from right in the in the beginning mm-hmm. but they terminated it right well you Termin- i know i know <laughs> after you me had- they <laughs> said forget it right because i know you some of the stories you've told us just running that session. First of all, um, I always feel like today not everybody knows how to run a jam session, you know, like in the in the real way. But what are, what's what is it like when you run? Like you know, can you give somebody like a pointer on yeah. a, a good way to run a jam session? Because well, some of them are ran like. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, <laughs> I was getting really good guys to come out because it's like a very. Yeah, and they knew you, and you played with them. They and it was a good. Road, yeah. It was a good place for them to get exposure, because the way they ran it, which was very cool, which was after the second show on a on a Friday or Saturday, mm-hmm. um, the. The idea was to keep the audience, not yes. get rid of them and turn it around with a whole new house, right. but to keep them and 
play for them right so that they would they would stay yeah. and some of the great young cats that are now like pretty famous like we ran into Terry on Gully mm -hmm. he's with Diane Reeves now yeah and he actually see all these things come back he actually <laughs> got the gig because she played at the Blue Note her regular show and stayed wow and heard him wow and Donald Edwards who of course I'm ma I'm naming like you know Sean Conley and Jay Anderson. I'm naming just bass and drums because we were the house trio. Right, we had right. a thousand horns right. that would come and play. Right. And, <laughs> <thousand>. So, yes. <laughs> it's like you'd be playing courses? a tune and it would just, it would be like you were in a, in a nightmare. Right. You know, you'd just like look up and there'd be, the horn would change. You morphed into another person. <laughs> and it's, it, it's true. It would, the, the the rhythm section works the hardest on a jam session. Yeah, they do. Because and if you don't have a bass up. player in the house, forget about and it. And we you know Sean, all. who's a, and Jay, who are just phenomenal bass players. <laughs> you play all phenomenal. <laughs> I can't say enough about both of them. Just you know, wonderful players that you've had a chance to play with both and recorded. Yeah, with both. yeah, man. And and that's like I met them through you. That's you true. know. And I tell people. You know, when you go to a jam session, you, first of all, you just never know who you're going to meet wherever you go. You just never know. Right. So a lot of times people will want to um, to to hierarchy things. Right. Oh, well, this is, you need to, you know, you need to do, it, it's not about what you need to do. It's to get out and to play, to listen to as many cats as possible, right? Exactly. And to be open to really playing and listening. Because that's, I think that when you're at a, uh, I met Travis at a jam session. Well, and the so thing you, you, I got to add with that is, I will never forget this. We were flying somewhere with Michael, and you had Travis's first recording, and you just said to me, "Do you know this caddy's new? I think he's kind of like." It. Oh right, well he was with. Isn't Columbia. that weird though? It was, and when I the, and the thing that determined whether I liked his playing was ballads. Exactly. That was Big Nick always told me, if you want to know if a cat can play, well, that's true. listen to him play a ballad. And you, that can't can you can't fake it. You can't fake yeah, the ballad. It's just, it's just, you know. It's like you're naked because <laughs> <Right>. the tempo's <laughs> slow and there's no, like, mixing up with a thousand notes. Right. It's like you have to really play with your heart. And uh, it's more difficult than people think. People think, oh, it's slow. Right. So it must be easier. Yeah, singers think that all the time. That's why they're always calling the ballad. Exactly. And they don't realize that it's not... Just because it's slow doesn't mean it's easy. Exactly. You know, so... But in any case, all okay. right. Now we're actually going to get to Now, uh, what are you working on? Are you working on anything right now? Do you have a project that you're... The thing that I am working on is actually... I'm working with my daughter, Julia, and we are uh, working on some original tracks. And... Uh, that's what I'm doing at this very moment. Wow. And, you know, I'm going to have a show. I'm having a special edition show where I will have Julia Blinzik oh, on. Oh, that'd be so cool. Yes, and we're going to talk about her um, Christmas album she did. Great. And what she's working on now. But uh, Great, that's cool. going to be after you. Cool, so cool. Uh, we're not going to do that now. Great. But, <laughs> Great. all right. So um, now, are you ready to walk down into the basement? You know that I have been <laughs> Wait a in minute, the basement <laughs> for a long time. 
You have been, literally. I, literally, literally and figuratively. Because my studio is in my basement <laughs> at my house. And I have been known to spend <laughs> many, mul- many multiple, hours. multiple days and nights. Okay, well, we're going to just stay there then. Great. And then I'm going to ask these questions. Great. So are you ready? Yes. All right, now. What is it? One. Okay. Tell us about someone you've worked with who was a little frightening to you, but in a good way. All right, so I've played with a a lot of people, but early, um, yeah, this guy was, was kind of scary in a good way and in a bad. And he's this guitarist, Joe Beck. And Joe Beck's claim to fame was playing on Miles Davis' Circle in the Round. And he was actually the first electric guitarist to play with Miles. The first. So Miles changed his sound from, you know, the classic quintet sound to what he did till the end of his career, which was electric instruments, electric bass. Okay, so it was that period of moving, okay. 60, late 60s. Right. But he was like known as a real tough guy, real mean guy, and if I, I can say stuff like this because he's passed on. Oh yeah, just like Miss Kerr, you can say whatever you exactly. want. Exactly, they're dead. So, <laughs> so he was an ex junkie, and he had that real dark mm-hmm. side yeah, to him. You know, him. he could be pretty cool, but so I was really nervous. I'd never worked with him or not. I was scared because this guy's you know was supposed to be really mean. So we rehearsed at his house, and as it's gone, I'm like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. I don't know. What, right is, what yeah. is everybody? Yeah, what is they talking about? Yeah. Now, it was his gig. You okay. know, <laughs> He hired us for his gig. So, And he liked the keyboard I brought, and we were rehearsing, and he said, that sound, I want that on the gig. I want that. And I was like, oh, man, this is great. I got sounds, and it's you know, all nice. So <laughs> the gig comes, right? And I'm real nervous playing. And it's going pretty good. You know, I'm not, we're not playing at our best, but we're accompanying him and all a little nervous because we hadn't played with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we go into the tune that he, that he wants that sound on. And I start playing it. And he turns to me, don't ever play that sound again. <laughs> I'm like, in my, I didn't say anything out loud. I'm saying, this is the sound that you wanted, you loved at rehearsal. So right, I'm vibed. I'm already like, you know, when you're a young cat on the gig, like the, the vibe is broke. Oh, right. And anything, anything can go. So I'm still playing all like sad now. I'm like, oh, shit, I just forget it, man. So then I'm playing. I'm like, maybe I could redeem myself with right, right, so, some chops yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So we get playing, right? And I play this huge line from the top all the way down, very virtuosity. He turns to me and goes, you hit every one. And he was, and he was just like that. Plus, just being dark at any time. Right, right. it just he could be cool, and it would just like go really dark. (laughs) So you made it through the game. No, we did make it through. We did. Did you play with him again? Not. We did. And it was the whole rhythm section. I forget who was in it, but we came as a group. Okay. The three of us were hired together, and we did do a a few more things. But then he kind of moved on. Wow. But he had that real dark bebop, like you were saying, that bebop junkie side where they didn't they didn't play. They it really was didn't. really serious and like it was actually part of the thing to make young cats intimidated and feel 
be afraid. Oh, to, to exactly. Put fear in you. Yeah, it's to see just how much you can take, and if it's, you're going to go through, it, make it through anyway. It's you know, really that, and that you don't get much these days either, because probably good for good reasons. Right, right. And we don't play with a lot of. Uh, well, that's there's right. Not, there's we don't not have a lot that of much interaction with the older musicians. Now it's in school. Yeah, yeah. Where the where the the older cats are teaching the young cats is actually like back in the day you would say like you know. Oh, I played with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Donald Byrd, and it was like going to school. Right, Well, right. now it's like you go to, to school, school it's right, like right. playing with Donald Byrd. Exactly. And, and you're in an environment, though, that you at least you're protected by this principle <laughs> and this system of the school from I've only I've only gone off on a few kids. Seriously, only a few of them by 15 years of teaching at Purchase. And uh, but when I did... <laughs> The rest of the class had their mouths like, <laughs> wide open, like they couldn't believe it. This Mr. Nice Guy, because you know I have the other side, like anyone. Well, yeah. That when someone provokes me, and mm-hmm. if you feel it, if you fool it with the music, mm-hmm. it's bigger than all of us. Right, right, right. You know, so if you fool around with that concept, you know, like with guys that are serious, yeah, we take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've seen you too. I've seen you keeping it real. So I'm. <laughs> So, okay. So, now, what is the scariest work Mm -hmm. in any medium, like, uh, say, painting or photograph, book, movie, television show, uh, radio broadcast? Some people mention dreams um, that you've encountered. The scariest? Yeah. I mean, am I allowed to say a gig? Uh, yeah, you could. I mean, what, I was what trying it, to go for we something. We could edit other. this later, but what? Yeah, I'm not, I, what no, I was at? thinking of like sometimes, like for me, I love scary books. I oh. love scary movies. I love anything that has to do with horror. And um, and some people, like for instance, um, uh, one of the one of the guys on the show talked about uh, dreams. He had this dreams that I got just, it. Got it. So this is to to show some scary stuff outside of just the music because we all know music is always terrifying. But you know to see if there's you know something else. Yeah, like, well, like all of us, we, we dreams can be strange. Mm-hmm. And I've had a reoccurring dream ever since I've been a professional musician, which is you just can't get to the gig. You're oh. in the hotel room. <laughs> you got your clothes half on. Are you ready to walk out the door? something happens. Oh, yeah. You lose a shoe, you get this, and you try to get to the venue and the cab driver goes to Broadway. <laughs> so you have a recurring dream that's like that? Yes, all the time. That like I And I never, I wake up, I never made it to the gig. Some of them have been <laughs> Michael Frank's gigs. <laughs> and uh, I wake up and I'm like, okay, I missed that. I know, well, for me, it's always where, uh, you know, I, I practice, I got everything together, I know all the songs, the and then they too. walk up to me right before I go out on stage, and this is the first time like ever one. that it's my opportunity <laughs> where I'm, it's featuring me, and I, the house is like five, ten thousand people, and I am so ready, and they walk to me right before I step on stage and give me all new music and say, you got to do all of this. I have that dream that is all the time. That is good. <laughs> Actually, as a professional musician, that has happened a few times to me. Not so much preparing, but here's a whole thing. You know, now and then, mm-hmm. you'll do a gig where you're sub, 
and oh, they yeah. really will. You well, never saw them use it. Right, it. That's right. That's and they right. pull it out. That's scary. <laughs> oh my God! It's that's just really kind of scary. you know. What do you do with that? Exactly. So, uh, so dream. So the dr- your dream. This is interesting because everybody has very different types of dreams, and yours is getting to a gig. <laughs> some, just some like deep. all the pressure, you know. You know it's starting. <laughs> you have to be, and everything goes wrong. Oh. <laughs> your pants rip. And, you know, you get there. And, you can't get in the stage door. <laughs> right, right. And you never get to the gig. I, I mean, you get never it. get to do Never, the ever. <laughs> and I wake up all like... <laughs> like totally freaked out. And then you have to check because on the road, there's a tendency oh, go to ahead now. That's right. like not know where you are. Well, that is true. When you do a lot of road time uh, and you're doing you know a few weeks in a row or whatever... You can forget. You can't like, wake up. Where am I? It's rhythm What's marines, kid. <laughs> rhythm, mar- but it is true. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I, I, we usually have to leave the bathroom light on to just know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, the hotels are all kind of either built <laughs> on the same sort of thing, but that's true. I do too. I leave the door, I close the door, and have exactly. it cracked. So exactly. So, okay. Here's the last question. Okay. All right. What is the scariest thing? that ever happened to you while performing live? All right. I'm going to... Now, actually, while performing, or could it be slightly before? Actually on the gig? Um... Well, actually, it, it either right one, on the either, stage. yeah, you can throw right, I'll, one, I'll, one I'll of throw the other. I'll throw a little like, both. You know. you've, you've been on some of these where, <laughs> where the keyboard just kind of freaks out. Oh, okay. You know, as you know, we yeah. use keyboards on the road, and sometimes, like, <laughs> well, one time in particular, I can remember, is when the sustain pedal got caught, oh. and I did this regular line in Michael's tune, and it all was like, <laughs> and stayed. <laughs> it locked into however many notes you could hit, 16. So I was like, got it down with one hand, and yelled to the text, here, come on over, come on over it. Right, it's almost like that that organ in 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 uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera. You know, it's, it's just, just stained ca- right through. So with keyboards, that does come at times uh, where you have problems with the technical the technical end of it. Yeah, you know, during a performance, and it is a little scary because you know you want things to sound good and uh you know when when it's the instrument's fault right, you right. don't know how if it could be fixed right exactly you know exactly. and then sometimes before gigs you've been on mm-hmm. sound check mm-hmm. it's like this instrument is not good right <laughs> <laughs> we need another you know oh, go oh. get us another oh yeah <laughs> yeah those are like definitely um when the when the 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 um the mechanism that you're using that you need to actually get to play. Exactly. Like a, a grand piano, for instance, at least it has its sound in that. Exactly. But when you have to deal with the electronic patches and things like that. It's, well. It could be it could be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> or nothing coming out. Or some other sound. Like <laughs> but that's true. When, when yeah, you have to mention yes. that. It's supposed to be strings and like, you know, Japanese flute <laughs> comes on or something. Yeah, and everybody re- on the bandstand just kind of looked. <laughs> I remember actually playing in one, it was, I forget who it was with, but playing in one of these halls that was very muddy in sound. Uh-huh. So you couldn't make out exactly, right, exactly what's being. Exactly. Just, so I'm playing strings, 
And I was like, wow, they're like a little powerful, wow. So when the whole thing was over, I looked and it was horns. <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe that's... You know, and we just go right there. Just go right well, I mean, there. what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's You're over. in the middle it's of, a, of a thing. It's over. And it's, it's the the sound must have been bad if I couldn't tell. <laughs> Nobody could. You Nobody looked at me weird. <laughs> Nobody could hear anything. Wow. Well, oh. uh, uh, well, I wanted to, is there something that you would like to, um, you know, give a little piece of, of your insight uh, to any young musicians that are starting out in, you know, either playing piano or being yes. a musician or composer or orchestrator? Or well, I mean, I've, being an educator too, I've thought a lot about these things because I've been teaching for a long time, 15 years at Purchase Conservatory, which is really a, a one of the finest mm. jazz conservatories in the country, yeah, which makes true. it one of the finest in the world. But in dealing with a lot of young musicians and other teachers, you kind of have to feel like you've had a calling to do this because mm -hmm. it takes so long to perfect it and it has to be like so in you that you can't be yourself without it. Uh -huh. You have to have that drive every day. Because mm -hmm. talent will only get you so far. There are very few people. There is like now and then like a Chet Baker right. who really does everything by ear. There's right. not a lot of guys like that. Wow. Maybe once in a generation. Right. But for right. the rest of us, we have to know harmony. We have to know. So it's that every day discipline mm -hmm. that I, I still do when I, when I have the time at home, when I'm not on the road. I, I, I practice every day, and, wow. mm -hmm. and I think uh, that you never stop. But if you're serious, and I tell my students, you have to feel like you've had a calling yeah. and that this is something that's a life's work. You know, mm -hmm. And, of course, you don't do it for the money. Right. <laughs> so so think of it. In the arts... It's, it's the only, it's one of the few job, uh, jobs that uh, you're not seeking money. Right, right. You're needing enough money to exist, but you're reaching for something that you can, uh, that you can attain to, but it's not based on the money. Right. If Absolutely. you're lucky, some comes with it. Well, yeah, yeah. But it is, has to be that real, true yes. uh, love, like, I Absolutely. can't live without you, love. It, it's true. So, it's absolutely yeah. true. And I, all the great cats we know all say the same thing. Yeah. Remember, I, I, I ran into uh, Walter Davis a long time mm -hmm. ago at this mm -hmm. little bar. He's a great pianist that played with, uh, with uh, Dizzy yeah. for many years. and. It was after the gig. He was like, "Yeah, you sound good. Do you practice every day?" <laughs> I was like, "No, I got to play every day, oh, yeah. every day." Yeah. And yeah. he says, "Only if it's you know, you only have a little time. If you could only get a half hour, even fifteen or twenty right. minutes on right. a day that you're busy." Right. The thing is, this everyday repetition of keeping your chops in shape so that when the right call comes in. Mm -hmm. You're ready. It's not like, oh, you know, call right, comes right, and I've right, got to right, right. practice up. Right. It's not like that. Yeah, and when you really love something, I mean, like <clears throat> someone used an example of, of falling in love. And 
you know, when you're in love with somebody, you, you want to see them every day. That's true. You want to know what they're doing. You want to be around them all the time. Great you point. just It's just all, uh, and that's Great kind of how point. that is. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you definitely have a hard love affair and with you, it. And you have, you're absolutely right. You have a relationship, but it's a relationship that if you put yourself into it, it always gives back. Always, always, absolutely. You know, when you don't treat it right, yep. it will curse you because mm-hmm. you may find yourself playing with someone and you don't sound good. And the thing with being a musician in New York is, or at least used to be, (laughs) you didn't know who could be in the audience. At all. Could be an off night at at a little club, and, you know, Billy Hart was there for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Or you could name so many people that that could have just, Richie Byrack, who used to come by and and hear me play a long, long time ago. And uh, so if you weren't at your best, you could have just blown a chance at being referred to to a gig or getting a gig, you know, right there from someone right. listening to you. That's right, like dial, not to dial it in. So, uh, wow. Okay, so yes. I thank you so much. Oh, it's been this. such Has a pleasure. Has this been fun? It's not uh, been hard, right? It's, it's been it's a pleasure, easy. and of course, knowing you as long as I've, as we've known each other and the... <laughs> Can I say one last thing about me and you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> Veronica and I have been known to really laugh it up on the road. And, uh, <laughs> and there was a time where it was very early. We had many, many flights. You know what I'm going to say. Many, many flights in a row. Many. So we were all like punchy. It was another like 5 a.m. wake-up call. And I don't know what I did at, at uh, security. It was it was something I did, or and we were crying. It was not laughing. It was it was crying. Tears were coming down our faces as we got. And and as always, it's security points at the security checkpoints. I was hoping that I would be able to get through this interview without like laughing too hard. So no, I've met. I've been pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, as she's cracking up. So, <laughs> no, so, thank you. Anyway, thank you. you are so wonderful, and thank you so much for doing this. And we got to do this again. Absolutely. Um, you know, when you're going to uh, come out with the new album. Yes. You know, or yeah, yeah. the new album with Julia. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, yeah. it'd be really great. Absolutely. All right. Well, I love you. Thank, thank you. you so I love much. you too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, thanks for having me. Okay, that wraps it up for us on Tales from the Jazz Side. The jazz side is always there, waiting for us to enter and waiting to enter us. So, until next time, unplug your ear holes, for you never know what worlds may be waiting for you.